Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. And today we're discussing how brands can tap into consumer desire for artifice and illusion. We'll be talking about things like immersive mixed reality, the blurring of retail and gaming, and the rise of artificially intelligent avatars. And joining me to discuss this are the properly intelligent Ben Shaw, Head of Strategy at BBH London, and Katie Barron, Head of Retail at Stylus. So what do we mean when we talk about uh, consumer appetite for artifice and illusion? Um, I mean, this is something that Ben and I spoke about a little while ago because I was really interested in how in a lot of kind of retail marketing advertising situations, I was seeing lots of people talking about this love of things being unvarnished, you know, sort of taking off the glossy veneer, everything was about being raw and unpolished. But on the other hand, I was seeing a lot of um, interest in, you know, whether it's avatars like, you know, Lil Michaela was the kind of original one, I guess, um, or gaming uh, sort of tools or, or, you know, retail tools. Um, actually, this desire for things that were kind of modified or a bit more escapist were a bit more fantastical. There was this appetite for that. So I think we're, we're looking at this idea of there being a kind of double layer on the world, there being a kind of the real world and a sort of fantastical world that's slightly more modified. So that's what I'm thinking of when we're talking about artifice and illusion. Yeah, I think it's, for me, it's always been about that double layer has always existed in some form. It's now so much more prevalent in the only way it doesn't exist for someone is if they've never been on the internet Mm. and that everybody has got... You know, everybody's probably still got that weird username from the 90s when they first set up their email account, and that counts as an identity, but equally as then when they start to go in and craft anything that is, you know, any app that you go into these days has got some form of customization that becomes about you and a representation of you. Um, the thing I've always found to find most fascinating about it is, is as people, especially around London, when you look around of how many people are engaging with it, you walk around the street, everybody's tapped into their phone. You go on a tube and the amount of people that are escaping from that version of reality then and there is incredible. See, I think the interesting thing there is that idea of, of, of different versions of reality because I think, you know, what we've seen even with things like basic filters um, on Instagram or, you know, Snapchat is this idea that actually we're all self-modifying a lot more than we think in terms of our identity. I mean, we've done a lot of work at Stylus recently on Gen Z and talking about that idea of having a whole generation of people that are constructing their identity, if you like, in a different way. I mean, when I was a teenager, that probably really would have meant what type of makeup you were wearing, what clothing you were wearing. But now it's like almost the kind of semi-professional guys that you create mm. it's like you know this is what you're doing on instagram these are the photos that you're going to show this is how you're going to edit them these are the kind of filters that you're going to put on them um so even people that kind of profess to loving this kind of raw unvarnished state a lot of it's actually you know the sense of self-editing and our own kind of personal truths is a much more flexible space than I think most people really consider most of the time, you know, what we show and what we don't show. Um, I mean, it was interesting talking to a technologist about this and she was saying, you know, even in the most basic mobile phones, you now have um, the kind of beautifying app, the kind of the sort of floor softening app, if you were, the same type of technology that you would have had in those photo booths where it would just soften it. So everybody just looks that little bit Mm. better. So everything's almost about you kind of being a little bit better or a little bit different shall we say? And that's where I think some of this discussion about 
avatars, um, whether we're looking at other people's avatars, or whether we're thinking about creating our own avatars, that understanding of our, our own truth and how we feel about ourselves is really important for brands to understand. Because what we see in the mirror is maybe not how we feel about ourselves. Well, yeah, I was going to say, this, is, this sounds like it's going to be quite a challenge for brands because uh, how do they get to the truth of their potential customer if that potential customer is uh, in a kind of amorphous state of identification anyway? So is this a, well, how, how can they seize an opportunity here from this challenge? I think it's, it's incredibly difficult and uh, potentially tumultuous area for brands to get into properly because especially when you think of where everything has been in the last five years, five, ten years, has been about brands getting into purpose and celebrating the removal of artifice. You know, if you think of ten years ago, the Dove Real Beauty campaign was almost ahead of its time then and now just feels almost feels a bit passe feels feels a bit standard for what everyone else is doing and so it's i think it's quite hard to try and tap into people brands tapping into celebrating all the different versions of your identity but it can help people enable them and i think that's when you start seeing um things like when brands are whether they've got into gaming whether they've got into um uh, social identity packs where you can help unlock and enable people to help them choose their own identity rather than necessarily turning around and going, oh, look, there's lots of different versions of you. Isn't that fantastic? So it's so much more about enablement more than anything, I think. I think, um, I mean, Christian, you might, I'm sure you'll have a comment on this, but it's about thinking about, you know, advertising and media marketing in general with these kind of thing, because... You know, we used to be thinking about looking about ads. It'd be one per, you know, many of us looking at one ad. And of course, now we're, we're shifting to this space, as you've kind of described, that actually we can put ourselves in the picture to a great extent. We, we expect to have experiences that are tailored much more to us. So just to give you an example, um, something that we talked about quite recently, there's, there's an app called Super Personal App, for instance. And it's basically a kind of face-swapping app. So the idea is that you have, because for a long time it's been quite difficult to create your own avatar of yourself technologically, that it was quicker, this company found a way. They, they'd originally basically worked in the animation industry. So brilliant kind of AI specialist, award-winning animator, create your face, and they would put it on a body that's in a kind of approximation of you. So if you're tall and skinny, you'll still look tall and skinny, um, but you don't have to worry about it being an exact replica of you. And one of the purposes, of course, of this would be virtual fit. So you go to a brand's website and all of a sudden you can see yourself wearing that item of clothing. And that's much better than looking at another model. It's also perhaps a bit less depressing because, OK, maybe it's not exactly you, but you still feel like it's you. And actually, psychologically, you don't need it to be exactly you. It's probably preferable if it's not. Um, and the interesting thing is with that, though, of course, is that it opens the gates to saying, actually, what if you're a brand and you can allow people to use those types of things to say, put yourself in your own brand in that brand campaign so you see yourself walking along the beach or you know on the street in your own kind of catwalk all of a sudden it plays to that expectation of things being more tailored to us individually you know the messaging we get on our phone is individual we're being able to recalibrate what we see on tv so we have our own lineup of the programs we want to watch and i think it taps into that world and that's where it gets interesting because actually some of this stuff is maybe just for us to look at ourselves. It's not necessarily about beaming out something where we're saying, this is me saying I'm a role model for everyone. It's about us kind of having fun with our own identities and playing with it and seeing how we feel about the identity we're putting out there. And I think there's actually something quite positive 
about that. For a lot of people, that could be quite a liberating thing, perhaps. Yeah, I think there's an interesting um, relationship here between what we're seeing in st- stylists of this shift towards more intimate niche spaces. People don't want to be, as you say, broadcasting to a huge audience particularly anymore. They want to be amongst like-minded people built around you know, particular passions and interests and, and needs. Uh, you've got that on the one hand, and then you've got this kind of deep personalization that you're talking about as well. How those two things fit together um, seems to me to be the kind of sweet spot for, for marketers. And creating tools that enable those consumers to express their identity. Not so much about saying, we understand you and here's stuff that's targeted to you, but it's more about mm-hmm. saying, we understand that you want to express some kind of identity. Here's the tools to enable you to try and do that. Yeah, Which I is th- why I think Snapchat, for example, was so successful, because that was exactly what they provided, all these incredibly new t- tools that people could use to express their identity in a completely kind of radical new way. Yeah, a bit letting go of the reins a little bit. I think, you know, uh, marketeers, for obvious reasons, have really struggled with that because to sort of prove your value, I think there's that sense of... Uh, having to put something out and saying, and also the sort of ego attached, I think traditionally maybe in some of those industries where it's like we're putting something out there, you're going to enjoy it and you're going to be kind of fans of it. And so it's it's quite a nerve-wracking thing, I think, putting a platform out there. But realistically, putting a platform out there and allowing people to play and create their own thing is mm. such, a, such an alluring, seductive idea. It's also, it's the exact moment where it completely changes from most marketers' skill sets of helping to curate a perfect thing that I am putting out into the world and it's a shiny bubble and I send it off and I say goodbye to it versus creating a sandbox, creating loads of different options. You never know what people are going to do with it. Whenever we've in the past created any sort of environment or opportunity like that, you just see the whites of most marketers' eyes because they've never touched this sort of thing before. Um, and you know, most for most creative uh, agencies and people equally, you then start getting into a whole host of rules, whether it's ethics or production bits, that you then need to try and figure out of what happens when somebody puts a Nazi flag on their profile picture within your app. What the hell do you do? Where where and you having to start to draw all these different lines versus a beautiful little thirty second edit that you put on telly. Yeah, I mean, that is a risk, isn't it? You know, these things can be hijacked and that's part of the the fun of it in some respects, I I suppose. I mean, what would you say in terms of these are lots... We're creating different spaces here. We've been talking about, you know, a kind of um, world where there are a number of different spaces that consumers are working in, digital and real. Um, to 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 a great extent, brands have to think about all these things differently, all these spaces differently. How you approach someone in a retail environment is different to how you approach someone on a social network. And but now we're obviously we're talking about mixed reality as well, where, where these lines are getting blurred. So, how will and how should brands um, behave in these sorts of different spaces? How you know how how can how can we create um, good relationships within these different spaces? I think they need to start by understanding the incredible potential of moving just beyond advertising that each of these uh, spaces are lots of different touch points and every single interaction that a consumer has with a brand no matter the touch point shouldn't just be a utility it should be an opportunity to try and impress people and therefore you need the same level of strategic thinking and craft that goes into a piece of broadcast advertising going down into 
what will the uh, chat robot be in the virtual lobby of our virtual store? Because that's where it will get to. And it's when you don't think about that things, that's when I think brands can get hijacked, when it is a poor experience, when it feels fake. Um, and I think that's why so many marketeers delving into these spaces are still just in, are still just putting advertising out there because it's easy to put advertising into advertising spaces to try and experiment and get comfortable and have success means having to experiment, take risks, probably fail um, and put some of your marketing budget into something that may not quite work. Um, and so I think it's been a slow play. If you think of how long it's taken something like Snapchat filters to become an acceptable thing to put on a marketing plan and to not be laughed at <laughs> that, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to put a little AR overlay onto people's faces. That used to be, why the hell are you doing that? It's completely frivolous because so much of it also needs to be socially accepted by the marketing community before a marketeer can actually put it down with any sort of credibility. One of the most interesting spaces that... Uh, we've written about a lot on stylists that, that brands seem to be desperate to get into is obviously gaming. And gaming is really interesting, particularly from the spectator gaming perspective of things like Twitch, because the relationships between the players um, and the audience is so close and so intimate. Um, I remember I saw at Adweek um, a talk about this, and one of the sort of celebrity gamers was talking about how the people who watch him know what he has for breakfast, what his favourite films are, um, and he has that kind of really friendly, close relationship. And then stick a brand into that, you know, you've got to be really, really careful and you've got to be really, really good at what you're doing and also understand, you know, that this is not just another forum for a brand to to broadcast in. It's not, it's not Twitter, it's not Facebook, it's a wholly different kind of thing. Um, what would your advice be for brands that want to sort of start experimenting in this space? Um... I think you have to massively respect the story and the narrative of whether that is something which is a, whether it's a game that actually has a story or a narrative or the community narrative that exists there because it has to feel incredibly authentic. I think it's the the thing that marketeers need to appreciate is the level of investment, not just cash, but actual attention and emotional investment that goes into playing games which is you you can listen to a song for three minutes, a TV program for 60, a film for 120, but most people are playing games, you know, for 40, 50 hours at a time. So you're so much more emotionally invested in it and you pay attention to all of the details. And so therefore, it has to feel incredibly authentic to why is this here and what's this role playing? What's the what brand is this is um, what role is this brand playing in the game? Because every little part of the game is scrutinised. Of why is that tool there? It's a complete <laughs> waste of space. Why have you put a door in this game that I can't open? And so you chuck a brand in there, then it's going to be scrutinised like any other object in that universe. I mean, I, I don't want to use the phrase nerdy, but no, I will. Actually, <laughs> I will use the phrase nerdy. But I, I, that's what I think will give this such an excitingly sort of creative kick up the arse if you're thinking about um, creating these spaces. Because as you said, really, you know, this is about entertainment. So you're moving into this entertainment space. Um, so, you know, when you said... If you know, thinking about how the chatbot converses, you know, feasibly, if you're kind of creating a retail space and kind of creating this virtual world for people to inhabit and walk through, um, 
you know, say you're a massive sports band like Adidas or something, you're creating like a winter, winter Olympics style sports space. Um, you know, feasibly, I guess you're going to have to start thinking about how would you do this if you're working in the entertainment industry? Would you, you know, would you employ a script writer to start working on those kind of conversations? Because if you're creating even conversational AI, there's got to be some backbone to that. Um, and that really chimes, I think, with other stuff that we've been talking on, Stylus, about this kind of retail meets media space with companies like Network. Um, network being uh, the sort of Comic-Con meets uh, QVC for Gen Z, as they call it, where basically you're watching broadcast episodes of, of TV where they're selling you things, they're undoubtedly selling you things. The interesting thing is that some of their longer um, episodes, they're actually, they've got a team of scriptwriters, a bit like having a Saturday Night Live team of scriptwriters behind those because they realise that actually people were watching for a lot longer and getting a lot more invested when the production values were really high. And that's something that I think is a bit of, um, a bit misunderstood when people are dealing with young people particularly, that they don't realise, as you said, Ben, that, you know, actually people were watching for a long time, they'll get very heavily invested. But it's not just all about these, you know, one-stop uh, sort of sensationalist sound bites of things, just the, you know, the attention, the extreme attention economy. It's actually about the long game in a lot of instances, about the high production values of keeping people hooked, of getting them addicted. And I think that's really exciting. I think, you know, if I was uh, in-house in a retail brand and we were thinking about doing something as hefty as that, the idea that you could bring in some kind of really heavyweight creatives, whether it's script writing as well as the visual side of it, that's really exciting. You know, I think in a lot of... Um, conversations I have with brands about AI, people bizarrely forget about the linguistics, whether it's the script or just the type of conversation you're having with people. So I think that's going to be a really interesting space to watch. Yeah, just going back to your point about the time that people spend in games, I think it's really interesting and something that you don't really think about um, if you're not a a gamer. Um, I remember reading something about how uh, a writer was really emotionally attached to his avatar in, I think it might have been World of Warcraft, I can't remember, because he'd played with him for for years and it was, uh, you know, it was his double and there was a kind of relationship that they had. Um, and going back to your point about sort of digital avatars, this this to me seems like a really interesting idea that we can become very emotionally attached to these digital virtual things We've talked on previous stylist podcasts about virtual fashion, for example, which seems like a bizarre idea. But if you are that attached to your digital double, then why would you not want to spend lots of money dressing it in uh, in nice clothes? So, what again? I, I guess the question is where 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 do brands come in here? Because you know there is an opportunity here, I suppose, for brands to be enabling the creation of these sorts of uh, uh, of avatars. How how would you go about it? I think it needs to be. It just needs to be obviously a positive. It needs to be an addition to to all of the experience, and because and so there's all there's always an opportunity, and whether it's in online play, whether it's in being a viewer, a player, or solo play, that you always need. It's like rule three of gaming: you always need power ups. You always need something to help you, and you're going to accept that coming from lots of different places if you're in a really tricky situation. And so there's there's an opportunity there. There's also the opportunity, I think, which is the biggest, most dramatic shift that we've seen in the last ten years of gaming is the is the proper monetization of. If you've seen everything about loot boxes being uh, as a 
shady form of gambling, essentially, about uh, kids going in, spending thousands of pounds on their parents' credit cards, getting a new Ultimate Team pack, is that, again, there's opportunities for reward there, which is brands can help you get in and around to get limited edition things. And so I think it's it's just finding the really simple and obvious ways of how you can be a positive in that community, in that universe, without which without falling into the trap of the reason what one of the reasons why people like going and playing in these spaces is because they aren't full of adverts they aren't being interrupted this is a place that i can go deep into i can go and spend 2 hours and not move and get into the mind of this character go and play 15 games of fifa back to back and so it isn't a space where you want to go and interrupt this is the ultimate space you know people talked about social being a conversation Gaming is the most immersive space that brands could ever get into. Yeah, it's like at the moment um, we're doing a lot of work on the sort of axis of human life and technological life and where they're they're meeting in the middle. Um, And it's really interesting and I'm sort of looking at, at tools that can help you enhance mood or change mood. But whilst researching this, we've been looking at this idea of what actually, what about actually we aren't using these tools to get people just to sell more stuff to them or market more stuff or target them more heavily, what actually if some of those tools become the product in itself that actually as a person you're buying the experience, you're buying the sensation, you're buying being able to modify yourself in one way. That, that, that's something that I think is really interesting in, in regards to that. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to say about this is, um, you know, to your point about how much money you can spend now in games on actual things, on digitised things. Um, I mean, there are companies like Reactive Reality, which are an Austrian-based company um, originally, and they're doing incredible things with... They're one of those companies that are actually helping you to create your avatar. And, and the thing, the speed of this is incredible. I mean, a year ago, create an avatar, huge lighting kind of rigs and photogrammetry rigs probably take about, you know, two days to create an avatar of yourself. By now, it's actually about two hours you know, in a couple of months, it'll probably be about two minutes. They're already working on on being able to create not just an avatar of you, but the clothes itself, and then the space that you go into. So all of a sudden, you can see how these double lives, it's not just literally about seeing our avatar pop up in messaging or in a virtual space. It's about creating the whole space around it as well. Um, so, you know, I mean, if you're a brand that you've got a website at the moment, I think it's saying, think about what about when we don't really need websites any longer, which is arguably not a million miles away either so so that's yeah i mean that's um quite futuristic cutting edge stuff that probably costs quite a lot of money but if um if a client came to you today both of you and said look we've been reading about all this stuff you know the digital avatars the 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 world of gaming the, the blurring of real and digital um we want to try something what would you advise? What, what's a kind of first step for any brand that wants to try and sort of tap into what we called at the beginning this consume, consumer desire for artifice and illusion? I would, as the strategist, I would immediately go, like with anything, of figuring out what you actually want to try and do, what are you actually trying to achieve. The world of gaming and online avatars is absolutely huge in the same way that you would think about what's the right placement of my uh, the contextual placement of my uh, TV ad is you need to think about the exact same thing of the type of game the genre of game how you want people to interact with it and then you start getting into how 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 deep do I want to dip my toe does it just in game advertising is the lightest possible thing that you can get involved into all the way down to gaming co-creation 
Um, but first off, I think it's having a real understanding of the space because most marketeers aren't heavy gamers. They're probably just light mobile gamers and have got a preconception of what gaming is. And so getting a real understanding because the worst thing is you could have a huge backlash by going in wrong and going in without having a proper um, without proper knowledge of what this space entails. I always remember you saying to me, vicious. People had had vicious experiences. <laughs> and I saw <laughs> the sort of savage language that you used. Yeah. I was, I was yeah. like, yeah, I'd seen the, I, I knew that you'd witnessed that yourself. Um, I've got on a really practical thing, practical retail thing, I would say actually it's those companies like Reactive Reality and Superpersonal for virtual fit actually. And the reason I say that, I mean, this is a fashion thing, um, but because online returns, I mean, on the bottom line, something like 25% of everything people buy online fashion is sent back. And in some categories, it's much, much higher than that. So that's a really obvious one where using one of those tools, you know, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the expense because it's different for every brand and every situation. Um, but the outlay on that, I think, it's, you know, the return on investment is really quite obvious. So you're already starting to get into that idea of using this world of avatars and illusion that people are getting used to. You're putting people in the picture, but in a way that's actually very practical, that will feel very easy to digest, very palatable. That's probably a kind of gateway into getting into the kind of deeper stuff when you're then putting them in the brand in a different way. Because you'll be able to see how people react to that, how they react to how they're seeing themselves, how much people want to modify themselves. Um, you know, that's a really good taster with really obvious practical returns. I think it's an interaction like that is also what's starting to become consumer expectation of a certain level of brand. Mm-hmm. If you are, you know, in the automotive category, we're starting to be able to get to the point where you can buy cars online. We've already for years been able to do exactly what you can do in Forza and in GTA and you can configure your car, you can put ramp up the engines you can put the alloys on do all the colors but you can't do that final thing of click and buy and you don't have that same showroom experience and the same um beautiful luxury touches that you'd get from certain from certain car marks and when you think of the entire luxury space surely being able to um if you're if you're chucking out a load of cash to buy a premium product You'd expect the same experience online that you would in the real world of going into a store on Bond Street or Regent Street. And at the moment, all of those digital experiences are incredibly functional. It's really, really hard to do luxury online because everybody can just copy your your site design. So it's adding on all those experience layers that I think are really, really interesting for the brands that can afford them right now and for the customers that are willing to pay for them. Yeah, and it's, yeah, exactly. I I totally agree. I think a lot of those e-commerce experiences are very rudimentary. And for some of those brands, those luxury brands as well, that are hitting not necessarily the kind of ultra high net worth consumers, but those middle consumers that they're trying to sell, sell expensive bags to, let's say, for instance, they're still trying to sell to people that aren't necessarily in tier what you call tier one cities. So how do you reach those consumers? You know, you can't expect them to make that pilgrimage to a specific place every single time you're expecting them to buy a bag. Um, so A, they'll expect it, and B, I don't know how you're going to kind of converse with them without it. Um, so in a lot of ways, I think it's a real no-brainer, actually. Um, and that's a quite light way of doing it. You know, that it, it's, um, there's a lot of artistry, shall we say, to, to the way those companies are working, hence why they have people that are award-winning creative animation specialists. And I really want to point that out because I think when you talk about these companies a lot, there's a lot of discussion as if they're, it's pure data science. 
um, and there's no kind of psychology or artistry behind them. And that's just not true with the best examples of this. Um, and then from that, we'll start to see a much deeper leap into these kind of creative, ingenious, uh, fantasy-based worlds. Well, I look forward to um, creating a digital version of myself um, with a tweak around the belly area, probably. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to thank my guests, Ben Shaw and Katie Barron, and thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 